0: A little while to come on. Nope. Okay. Oh, it's going. The second counter is ticking. Okay, perfect. I forgot to start that last time. So anyway, thank you so much for having me. I'm just going to open us up in a word of prayer. Lord God, we are grateful um, to just be in your presence in the midst of a busy week of rushing in from work or wherever else we've been today, Lord, that we can stop and rest and pause um, and that we can be reminded of, of who you are and the work that you've done in the world. And, and just through these miracles that are just incredible and encouraging stories, we pray that we would be um, just centered and that we would take this time to fix our eyes on you and on who you are. In your name I pray, amen. Well, as Michelle said, my name is Gretchen. I am married. I've got two little ones at home, five and two. And one thing that you should know about me is that I am a, the type of person that's not ashamed to admit that I like my birthday I enjoy every year when my birthday rolls around I like any excuse to have a party I love the presents that are involved and I've just always been like that I like my birthday and I used to be embarrassed about it but no more I like it and so when I started dating my husband he like most young people in love, set a very dangerous precedent, and he started what we call the seven days of birthday. Yeah, yeah. So every year, just before and just following my birthday, I get seven days of gifts. And there's a song, and there's a presentation, and it's a whole thing, and we're never, ever going to stop doing it because the year that we stop is the year that I will be so sad. But I think what I like most about the seven days of birthday, not that I don't like getting presents for seven days, I do like that, but I I think what I like most about it is sort of the extravagance of love. Because what I feel from my husband is not sort of what would be nice or what would be expected, but instead it's totally over the top and it's totally impractical. And what I'm feeling in that moment is the abundance of his love. And as I thought about this word abundance, I saw some threads going through our study that we were reading this week and even the week prior with the water and the wine. I kept seeing these little threads of God's abundance, and so I wanted to sort of pull at that thread and figure out what do we have to learn from this. And so I, I learned a little bit more about that word abundance as it's used in the Bible, and I found some definitions for it. Beyond, extraordinary, beyond all measure, and then I found this uh, little interesting tidbit from the Dictionary of Bible Themes, which defines abundance as a state of plenty. Since Israel was often restricted in resources, abundance was an important feature to her future hope and became a symbol for spiritual well-being. And so as we think to this past week and the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 and there's food left over, this abundance, we start to get the hint that maybe this story is about a little bit more than just food. And as we read this definition, we start to see that abundance is more than meeting physical needs. It's about an abundant God. And so our first blank, if you're a blank filler in is that is that our God is abundant. We have an abundant God. God takes our little and he makes much out of it. And how this often comes from a place of scarcity. We come with little to nothing and God takes that and he multiplies it and he blows it out of the water and he goes beyond what would be expected or what even would be enough. And instead he goes completely over the top. That is our abundant God. You know, one of my favorite stories about abundance isn't actually a miracle story at all. In fact, it's a story of a man and a woman who lived in an ancient time, and they served themselves as reflections of this abundant God. And I'm talking about the story of Ruth. We studied this book last year, just this past spring as a church, and I loved the opportunity to just slow down and to take it all in and to read how this story has so many pictures Of who our God is and in the story we learn a lot about abundance because we have two characters who love abundantly first we have Ruth and Ruth at the beginning of the story is a widow her husband has died her father-in-law has died her brother-in-law has died and so her family is left with no more men to provide for them And what Ruth should have done, what would have been logical or smart, would have been to go back to her family. That was the thing that Naomi, her mother-in-law, expected her to do. But instead, Ruth makes this bold proclamation and says, I'm going to go with you. And this was all because of Ruth's abundant love for her mother-in-law and for her faith that the Lord would provide for them. And so as they travel to a foreign land, They arrive in Bethlehem, and then Ruth makes another decision out of her abundant love. She decides to go glean in the fields to try to get enough food for them to survive. This was a risk that she was taking as a widow, as a foreigner, that she would go and put herself at risk just to try to provide for them. But this is where Ruth comes from. This is her starting point. And then when Ruth gets there, Her love is met by the abundant love of Boaz, who sees that in her and then showers her with abundance as well. And so in Ruth chapter 2, verse 14, this is what we read about Ruth and Boaz and their encounter. This is after she spent the morning gleaning in the field. She's been gathering. He sees how hard she's working. He hears about her love for her mother-in-law. And so this is how he decides to respond. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. Now I'm going to jump down to verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. We don't have time to unpack every interaction here, but suffice it to say that Boaz is flipping every cultural norm upside down and in inviting Ruth to come, to sit with them, to share in the meal. And of course, we see echoes of this same abundance of overflowing lunch leftovers. And then he sends her home. With an ephah of barley which is like 30 pounds and so you can almost picture her like struggling under the weight of this like trying to get all the way home and she's got her little doggy bag too and when she gets home naomi her mother-in-law is like what happened because naomi understands that this kind of abundance doesn't just happen in fact we read in the text that it it would have been a good day if she wasn't harassed or assaulted in the fields. And instead, she comes home with an abundance of leftovers. And once again, in this story, we're seeing that this this abundance of food is really a picture of the abundance of God. Yes, they need food to survive, but it's not just about the food. And then later, as we go on in the story, If you know this story and I hope that you do because it's such a good one but what happens is that that God not only provides for the needs of this of these two widows eventually Ruth and Boaz will be married and they will have a son and through their son they will be in the lineage of the King David and eventually all the way to Jesus Christ the Messiah and so what seemed incredible at the time An abundance of food, an ephah of barley, was pointing to something so much more incredible that God would do through his abundance. See, the story of Ruth, although not in and of itself a miracle, is an important picture of abundance because it points us to a God who is abundant. Remember, at the beginning of our study, the author, Jessica, encouraged us to look for the who. So as we look at each miracle and at each story in this study, we're trying to find the truth about who God is in the midst of the story. And this is what she wrote on page 46. Where there's scarcity of ingredients, it reminds us that it's God's power, not human ingenuity or provision, to which we should give our attention and praise. The harder the odds and the smaller the resources, the more amazed we are when God pulls through and makes something amazing out of almost nothing. You see, God, he uses these miracles of abundance to point to himself so that we understand that he is the provider of everything, that, that not only does he provide everything, but he delights in surpassing our wildest imagination of what could be. And then our author, Jessica, she took us through several other stories. I hope that you had a chance to do day four because she looked at all these different little pictures, all these snapshots across scripture of abundance. And as I was reading through those, she references the story of Elisha. And she talks about how the barley loaves would have connected to the listeners at the time of the feeding of the 5,000. Or even to the people who were experiencing that. They would have known that and they would have connected it. And I wonder even if they would have connected it to the story of Ruth, who has her own barley abundance as well. This story that we're reading through and these miracles that we're looking through on day four they're all showing us that that the main echo would be that the abundance of god resounds throughout all of scripture and so i think that that what we're seeing all these pictures of abundance and physical needs and abundance in food and the water into wine We know that it's about something more than just the physical needs. Because if if God wanted to provide for every physical need ever, he would. If he had wanted to heal every person that he ever encountered and provide them what they needed for life, he would have, but he doesn't. And so I think we have to ask, why does he give us these miracles of abundance? And I think that it's to show us that his abundance meets a need for us that's far greater than our physical needs. God is showing us that he is the one who is able to meet our needs with his abundant grace. You know, I remember very clearly one of my first experiences with grace when I was a kid, maybe like five or six, I was shopping at the garden center with my mom. My mom has a very green thumb. I know this because she keeps all of her plants alive and all of my plants alive too. So every week when she comes over, she like, you have to water that one. And I'm like, okay, can you just bring it back to life for me? So she's very good at gardening. And so when we were at the garden center this day, normally she would let me look at the little plants and, and we'd pick things out and they were like little, those little 30 cent pots. I always to to get those and bring them home and we'd plant little flowers in them. But for some reason that day, something else caught my eye it was this very large raccoon-shaped planter and i don't know why but i wanted this raccoon-shaped planter it just caught my eye and i said i've got to have that and so i picked it up to carry it to my mom to show her and it was it was too heavy it was heavier than a five or six year old should be carrying and you can guess where this is going as i was Walking I I tripped and I dropped the planter and it fell and it was ceramic. So it broke into several large pieces And I was totally freaked out because I knew I had done something so wrong I knew that the garden center was a look don't touch kind of place and I knew that this large raccoon planter was so much more expensive than the normal little pots that my mom would let me get And so I was sobbing and I was so upset. And my mom, she, she kind of took the broken pieces and she put them in there and she went up to the counter and she paid for it. And we went home and I was just sort of like waiting with bated breath, like what is going to happen here? I'm never going to get my allowance again. I'm going to have to pay for this. I'm going to have to like mow the lawn 45 times to cover this raccoon planter. And, and instead she went inside and she got some super glue and she came back out and we glued the pieces back together and we put the pot and we let it dry and we put some soil in it and we planted some snapdragons because those were my favorite kind of flowers. I liked that you could pinch them and their little mouths would open. So she planted it with my favorite flower and I think that that was the first time that I started to understand what grace really meant. I've heard it described, um, I heard it defined this way once when I was younger, and I've always loved it. And that's that mercy is, is not receiving what you deserve. And grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve, but grace is receiving what you don't deserve. And on a very small level, I experienced that day with my mom. I experienced that grace. And on a very large level, our abundant God wants us to experience an abundant grace. I want to look now in the book of Ephesians. This is chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, Not by work so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, God's grace is abundant. We were dead in our sins and he made us alive in Christ. You see this in verse 7, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. We could also say that like the abundance of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is what these miracles are pointing us towards. And we can't lose sight of the fact that grace comes at a cost. It doesn't cost anything for us to receive, but it costs God dearly to give out this grace. This is a quote from Timothy Keller from his book, Counterfeit Gods. And he writes, God's grace and forgiveness, while free to the recipient, are always costly for the giver. From the earliest parts of the Bible, it was understood that God could not forgive without sacrifice. No one who is seriously wronged can just forgive the perpetrator. There is an enormous cost to God's grace, and he is the one who paid it. See, in the same way that my mom paid the cost for what I broke, God pays the cost for what's broken in us. And there's an important truth here to pull out, that that God's abundant love, a love so abundant that he chose to willingly suffer and die in order to cover our debt you see the overflowing baskets of food show us that god's love and grace are overflowing as well it shows us that he's going to meet our deepest needs our needs for forgiveness and for purpose we look at these miracles and we say wow that's so amazing like what would it have been like to be sitting there and seeing all the food being passed around or what would it have been like to see the water turned into wine And I think I I start to think that way, like, I wish I experienced miracles like that all the time. And, And then I stop and think and remember, I've already experienced a miracle so far greater than that. The fact that I was dead in my sin and I was made alive in Jesus Christ. I went from death to life. That is an extremely significant miracle. And it's all through God's abundant grace. And there's so much more to say about that, but we'll have to save some for later in the study. And so for now, I want to shift our focus back to the miracle this week. This miraculous feeding in which Jesus takes the little that is offered and he makes much of it. And now I think it's important to ask the question we should always ask when we study the Bible, which is, now what? Next, we move to an abundant response. Out of our little, Jesus makes much. We're going to look in the book of 2 Corinthians now, and we're going to read it a couple different times in a couple different ways. So, first, we're going to read it through. This is chapter 2. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower, that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Why does God bless us so abundantly? He he blesses us abundantly so that, well, first because he loves us. We've already established that part, but because he wants us to bless abundantly as well. He reveals he provides for the needs of others through us. Now we're going to we're going to look at this again and this time every verse or every word that is abundance or sort of a synonym for it is bold. So God blesses you abundantly so that you will abound. He's going to increase your store He's going to enlarge the harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so you can be generous. Your generosity. The service you perform is overflowing in many expressions of thanks. Your generosity in sharing with them. The surpassing grace God is giving you. So we look through this and we see all these pictures of abundance. And now I've got underlined here everything that is like so that because of result of so you can see here god blesses you abundantly why so that you will abound in every good work he's increasing he's enlarging he's enriching why so that you can be generous on every occasion and your generosity will result in thanksgiving The needs of the Lord's people is overflowing in expressions of thanks because of what you have done. Others will praise God for your generosity. Their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. There's an important characteristic that we learned through this miraculous feeding and through the water into wine miracle as well. And that is that abundance overflows. Abundance overflows. So when we experience the abundant love and grace of God, it should cause us to overflow onto others as well. That we are being filled up with his love to the point that it just starts spilling out all over to all the lives that we touch and all the places that we go. This is what God's love does. It multiplies. And the overflow is for a purpose. The overflow is for a purpose that God would fill us so that we can fill others, that he would use us, that we would get to be the vessels of his provision in the world, that we would get to be part of the way that he blesses those around him. And so as we, as we start to think about the now what, what, what do we do with these truths? What do we do about this abundance that we've experienced? There's four questions that I'd like to ask for us tonight. The first is, what does it mean to be generous on every occasion? We read that in our passage, what does it mean to be generous on every occasion? What does generosity look like? These are questions I think that we ask ourselves on a personal level. What what does More generosity look like for me. Where are the places in my life where God might be calling me to be a little more generous? Where might God be calling me to overflow onto the world around me? And the next question is, what is your little? What small things are you bringing to Jesus? I think sometimes for me, it's really easy to sort of um, pass Responsibility on to people who seem more responsible than me right or people who seem more talented in certain arenas And I kind of think like well, I don't think I'm really the person to be doing that I'm sure there's somebody who is more qualified than me to be doing that It could look like a lot of things I'm too busy to bring that little right now or it's gonna make such a small drop in the bucket What difference does it really make but God has shown us time and time again through these miracles that Jesus can take that little and he can multiply it. He can take a little small lunch and he can feed 5,000 plus people with it. So what can't he do with what I'm bringing to the table? And then the last question is, is where is God calling you to abundant generosity? Your time, your finances, your resources, your grace and forgiveness, and your mentorship. And just a note on that mentorship. Um, I look around this room and I see a lot of women who are wise and probably a lot wiser than me to the point where I feel like I should just sit down and you should teach me, but God has called me to bring my little to this table. And so I will, but please don't ever underestimate how badly younger women need older women to mentor them in the church. Women, my age, women younger than me, I have the opportunity to work with teenagers and they are so fun, and they're wild, and they ask the craziest questions. And what I love most about that job is how open they are to learning about God. They want to bring their honest questions, and they want someone who is going to listen to them and to love them. And so I think even as as we think about where is God calling us to serve, what is God calling us to do with our time, Don't ever count out mentorship in some way, shape, or form because the church really benefits from it. And the church really benefits from wise women who know the word of God, who know the scriptures, and who can pass that on to others. But as I said, I I work with teenagers right now and it's really fun, but sometimes um, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes I feel like I don't have enough to give. Sometimes I feel like I'm stretched too thin. Sometimes I feel like their problems are a little bit overwhelming. And sometimes I feel like I'm just in over my head. But God never fails to take my little and multiply it. He never fails to be abundant in encouragement and in equipping. Whether he's encouraged me through his word, through times of prayer, through the encouragement of other people, and then through those moments of sweet refreshment with the students when they're having a great day or when they seem to just really understand something in a deeper and newer way see god he gives me these moments he takes the little that i have and he multiplies it and he does the same for you he does that for all of us and i hope that you feel encouraged by this important truth about god that his abundance is enough to cover us his grace takes us from death to life, and then he fills us up so much that we have enough to just spill out on everybody else. See, God's abundant grace, it's enough to fill you, to overflow you, and to empower you to pour that grace out onto others. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the greatest miracle of all, that you would take us from death to life that you would show us that that we were worth saving in your eyes and that you would give us the opportunity to be part of your works and part of your plan. I pray, Lord, that you would stir in our hearts the places where you're calling us to more abundance in our own lives, whether it's pouring out or whether it's just recognizing the abundance that you've poured into us. Lord God, I pray that it would not... Um, that it would not be guilt or obligation, but just a clarity of, of purpose, of the things that you're inviting us into. I'm grateful for the opportunities that you give us every day in every way. I thank you for the just the sweet reminder that there's nothing that you can't do. There's no little that you can't use. In your name I pray, amen.